Every journey begins with a question. Our journey begins with this one. How can we lead to make the world better? Here, we explore that question through journeys of great success and accomplishment, confronting challenges and overcoming obstacles with leaders from around the globe, whose experience covers a vastly diverse range of background, sector, role, and expertise. One common thread unites them all. They are all leaders striving to make the world better. They are all better world leaders. This week, we're joined by Simon Carter, a sustainability expert who is going to give us an introduction to a very complex topic that I can guarantee you are playing your part in right now, the process of digitalization. At a high level, diving onto some very deep and complex topics, I personally found that to be a revelatory introduction to what could quite possibly be one of the big topics of our time. How do we manage this process of digitalization in an ethical, sustainable, and a way that has governance applied to it? I mean, Simon and I have already had a subsequent conversation, given that the one that you've just listened to was recorded earlier in the year. And we've had a subsequent conversation about having an update on where he's up to with this global project that he's launching in a couple more months. So just sort of hang on for that update, potentially in between the end of this current season two and the season three that we'll launch in early 2021. We're going to run some specials and we're going to include updates from people like Simon in those conversations and broadcasts. But just before we jump there and cast our minds ahead, let's just reflect back a few moments. So the key outtakes for me were this poignant moment that arguably has already passed, but certainly we are right at a threshold of moving into an essentially digitized future. Oh, well. So, Simon, welcome to the Better World Leaders podcast. Thank you very much for coming along. Thank you for having me on board, Tim. So, Simon and I have known each other for some time, but haven't you know, spoken for a while. So when we had a conversation a few weeks ago on the premise of would Simon like to come and have a conversation here, it, it was a, it was a good catch up, and I think it's fair to say we've both you know sort of uh, grown and and moved into some interesting territory since we saw each other last, which I'm going to say was probably maybe five or six years ago at least, because I don't think either of us had children then. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Simon, just to sort of set the yeah you know, set the ball rolling, and a typical sort of first question uh, at, at Better World Leaders: you know, where, where did you come from? You know, what's the journey that that you've uh, you've been on to get you here today? Uh, the the long, medium, or short version? Well, let's say the medium version, since this is <laughs> let's go for the medium. <laughs> oh, look, I'll, I'll sort of weave a, a few um, threads in. Uh, I'm a Kiwi. I've got a father who is an oceanographer, uh, travelled a lot when I was young and also sort of developed an awareness of the world's various systems. I probably knew about plate tectonics before most kids. <laughs> and, and so grew up tuned into what was happening in the environment and at the same time um, became very interested in the built environment and in architecture and so trained for and became an architect, 
um, but one that was very, very interested in, in sustainability. And so 20-odd oh, years ago, when I moved to Australia from New Zealand, um, I was working for a large architecture practice and things that just seem sort of bleeding obvious, like the orientation of buildings towards the sun, um, were considered a, sort of a radical innovation in, in industry, perhaps overstating that, but it was considered a new thing and certainly wasn't common practice. And so I started specialising in um, you know, the question of what would make sustainable design, sustainable buildings, and to improve our cities, the quality of our buildings, um, in concert with the environment, dealing with issues like climate change, resource security, et cetera. And so I began to specialise in, in that as, as an architect, um, but then was approached by a company in, in the property sector and so that was a shift from how do we design singular buildings to how do we affect markets, which was really attractive. Uh, the Green Building Council was being um, created back then, and um, we had just had the Sydney Olympics, the, the Green Olympics, and various companies, um, builders and um, various property groups and designers, et cetera, had started on this journey. Uh, but we really did need to create a sort of a systemic shift in the market. And so I, I worked for this property services company and, and headed up sustainability for them and navigated that for a number of years. But at the heart of the, I guess, the question for me was um, how do we take sustainability? And I, I don't like using the, the this, this bit of jargon, but I'm going to use it anyway and really put it into the DNA of, of organisations. And it's not just then an organisation doing a bit of sustainability with vulnerable products or service lines, et cetera. It, it is about how do we create um, sustainable organisations. And so I um, headed out on my own as an independent, which gave me the flexibility I needed to really follow my nose. It was um, a bit of a brave new world, but I think it's worked out. And uh, and I, I started working with a variety of different clients and, and sort of accelerating my learning. Now, that was, that was good. Um, in 2011, I started working very, very closely with a global property group out of the UK. And we were creating a, a global level strategy around sustainability. They wanted to go deep. They were a um, company with a lot of history, a lot of stewardship. Um, around around the built environment, cities like London, and wanted to carry that forward over the long term. So that was a great opportunity, and we worked on that strategy. But a few years later, in 2014, I got a call from the, um, the group head of technology, and he they were trying to map the digital space. Yeah, right. And were struggling. They were going to leading sort of technology advisors of the ilk of IBM Gartner, maybe not those ones, I can't recall, and getting tech speak. So the executives weren't getting their heads around what this meant. Um, and so they, they asked me to do it with them. And I worked, first of all, I said I didn't know anything about digital. Sure. And they said, <laughs> I'll have a go. <laughs> I'll have a go. Well, I was up front. Um, but 
part of the purpose and approach for me is they wanted to unpack in layperson's terms. So yes, I yes. worked very closely with this, this, this group head of technology and we created a map of how digital technologies were impacting cities, real estate, and their global business from funds management to, to asset ownership to development, et cetera. And that was a bit of a rude awakening because I got all of these jigsaw pieces around all sorts of different digital technologies from AI to augmented reality, autonomous vehicles, BIM, blockchain, big data, in the context of cities, real estate, and, and property groups. Got those jigsaw pieces out on the table and realized that this was much, much bigger and more consequential than I saw industry appreciating, that I saw society, government appreciating, and it really dawned on me that we're making a step change with regards to digitalization, and by we, I mean our species, <laughs> our various yeah, societies around the world, as well as our economy and our businesses, and it, it required a whole new way of thinking, including looking at it through a sustainability lens. So I'll stop right there, but there is a uh, maybe a medium-level um, sort of snapshot of, of, of how I got to this point and uh, my current exploration around sustainable digitalization. No, it was a great depiction. I'm glad I didn't go for the short version because I think that I think that, <laughs> that was just right. And I have to say, but my personal curiosity says, well, I want, I want to hear the long version at some point uh, and, and maybe we could do that. But I think it's a fascinating journey and you know, I know it's our key topic today and I, and I can't wait to get there, but I'm just going to hold myself back for a moment from diving straight off the board and into this deep and, and at the moment sort of fairly dark pool of, you know, sustainable digitization. Blah, blah, blah. I could probably, hopefully I'll be able to pronounce that by. There's <laughs> a lot of syllables in that. <laughs> there are. It, it was um, a real concern when we chose that term, but, but it's yeah. sticking on people's tongues after a while. Yeah, yeah. It's it's memorable even if it's not pronounceable. Um, but, look, I think it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, the sort of the – the conglomeration of skills and perspectives that you've gained through all of those different chapters that that you've just you know sort of run rapid fire through you know sort of growing up you know sort of in different you know sort of realms of the world and and with an oceanographer you know sort of opening your eyes and you know setting your perspectives on systems complexity and you know sort of long term you know, sort of impact and, and, and those kind of things, as well as just the sort of, so these two plates, when they rub together, this, you know, this stuff we call the ground shakes a lot, right? Um, you know, you, your, your perspective's been, you know, sort of defined strategically in a way, I, th yeah, I think, which is now obviously very much informing, you know, a lot of your work. And then taking the built environment, you know, which I think certainly the tendency is to, you know, to, to think of it as, as a fixed, you know, sort of very tangible you know, almost a, a sort of a statuesque, you know, sort of element of our world. A building is is a, is a thing that's going to be there for a while and maybe in 50 years we might knock it down and put a better one up. Um, but the overlaying of that perspective of how you design the flow through the built environment and how you enable societies and cultures to interact within it and through it and, and sort of leveraging it, um, now to apply that to the digital sphere, you know, which has lots of sort of similar elements. You know, there's stations and there's gathering points and there's spaces and there's conduits, um, but there's also similar risks and there's similar opportunities and vulnerabilities. So, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a fascinating exploration of what awaits us in the world and, of course, not to forget yeah, the, the, the role within this all that leaders will play. Uh, so, 
yeah, let's let's follow this this bouncing ball and 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 head down the path of here we go, sustainable digitization. Ah, got it. Got it. Well, no, you didn't. Digitalization. Did you say oh. digitalization or digitization? Uh, let's just say I was close. <laughs> so, what's this all about? Yeah, you know, let's just just give us a high level. What is sustainable digitization all about? Yeah, look, um, I, I produced a publication in sort of 2017, 2018, and we called it Crossing the Threshold. And what it's saying is that humankind right now is crossing a threshold into a digitalised future. You know, the application of digital technologies, the use of, of data, et cetera. It is a structural change. It's a lot bigger than we might experience day-to-day -day where often technology... Uh, sort of incrementally evolves around us and with us. Um, and I think it's a lot bigger than how we often think about digital disruption, which is often related to as events that might happen with a product or a business, which disrupt it, and it's a very serious threat and of great consequence. But that is still a microcosm of something much, much larger that, that is happening. And... You know, there's forums like the World Economic Forum, which I think is really appreciating the, the magnitude of that shift. And you can appreciate it when you start to think about how we're actually re-engineering the human being. And so we're, we're bioengineering, we're playing with CRISPR now, we're re-engineering other species now. And even you know, we talk about... Um, augmented reality and, and often sort of think, oh, that's a special pair of glasses or, you know, we, we think about chipping and you know, putting chips in our hands and here the case studies of the, the businesses that encourage employees to do that. But it's all much more closer to home than we might think. When we use our, our um, smartphones, we are augmenting ourselves right now. So we, we're accelerating down a pathway where, we are evolving our, our species very, very quickly. When you look at a city, there is a rapid and aggressive move to deploy a lot of technology in the city, in our buildings, and it's a real source of competition. You know, a city wants to demonstrate that it's the most um, technologically enabled city attracting the the smartest people in technology around the world. It's an innovation hub, et cetera. And if you're a, an owner of um, a, an office building, for example, you are competing for tenants um, in part based on the technological enablement of that building and indeed the, the businesses in them um, uh, are racing in that way as well. You know, and... It could be fintech or regtech or you know, property groups, which I work very closely with. It's all prop tech, prop tech, prop tech, which is a sort of an investment class in its own right. Um, so we're in this we're in this space where we where the wheels are, are, are spinning. We're moving very very quickly. There's a lot of hype, and if we step back, we can see that. This is just a period in the evolution of our species, um, and it, it is an enormous it's an enormous step change, and it does need to be stewarded very very carefully. So, 
what sustainable digitalization simply says is that shift needs to be responsible, it needs to be ethical, it needs to be sustainable. And just like many things in, in business today and in, in governance today, we need to put an ESG lens on it. We need to look at environmental consequences, we need to look at social consequences, and we need to look at governance consequences. And the final point I'll, I'll make about it just now is we need to remember that digitalization is a double-edged sword. It offers us tremendous benefits, and some of them are entirely frivolous. I'm blown away by people who um, photograph their breakfasts and put, and, and put that into social media. I don't know what proportion of um, the internet is full of people's breakfasts and who's watching that, but you know, there's a lot of flippancy around the use of technology, but we also live in a world that is global, is highly complex with many wicked problems like climate change, and we need the sophistication of technology to help solve those problems. And so um, we really must pursue digitalization, but the other edge of the sword is it presents risks, and many of them are very, very severe, and many of them are not being uh, addressed effectively today. And you know, one of my favorite examples about that is the enormous one-day share price drop in Facebook um, it was sometime last year, I think sometime in the middle of the year, it dropped 119 billion US dollars in one day. In gross, the biggest um, fall of a stock in, in history. And that was on the back of a warning about a reduction in the rate of growth. Not a, re not a reduction overall, just a reduction in the rate of growth of their membership, which largely stemmed from what was happening in Europe, all of which was on the back of the crisis they had around privacy, which is a social issue. Up until that point, it was an externality for them, and, and the market was realising that that was going to be really consequential to their value, and the, wheel, the, the wheels of, of the, the market spun, and we saw that enormous um, price drop. And I think that really talks to the moment in which we're in. We're both going through this enormous structural change, but at the same time, there is also this awakening that just like with many other things beforehand, like the production of energy with climate change consequences, um, there's a whole load of issues that we need to begin to consider around digitalization. And, and that is to make sure it's responsible, ethical and sustainable, which we call sustainable digitalization for short. No, I mean, it's such a fascinating topic with so many connotations and, and, and permeations. And, and I'll just reflect on a couple of things. I mean, that, that the whole Cambridge Analytica, you know, sort of Facebook, you know, we won't touch on the sort of the political, you know, sort of, um, well, saga that, uh, that, that, that sort of, you know, broke the, uh, you know, sort of the, the cap on, on, on that whole, you know, sort of ongoing, uh, relationship, yeah, has been a fascinating one. And, and I think, you know, privacy is typically the long dark shadow that's cast over you know, any kind of tech development now, but as you say, it really does go a lot deeper and broader than, you know, simply consumer protection around privacy, which is in itself a vast and complex topic. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, I'm really glad that you know, we've got the opportunity to explore it, even just at a high level you know, across some of the the breadth of those areas. And I think yeah, I, I, I certainly, if I go back, maybe three, even four years. I'm I'm, I'm racking my brain now, but I can't think of a single conversation that I would have had with a senior executive in any of the permeations of the work that we do that would have referenced technology as anything other than a a positive and a net gain with some sort of outage risk. Oh, but if the server goes down. That that was that was kind of the worst case scenario is you'll have you know kind of a loss of of engagement, um, which is going to have a real yeah, sort of monetary and brand impact for sure. But it wasn't you know about yeah, things like cybersecurity, yeah, digital disruption of your existing income stream from a strategic sense. Whereas in the last two years, I've had two clients who've had significant negative impact on their business because of cyber intrusion. You know, full shutdown. You know, the sort of the ransomware goes in, uh, and yeah, you know, and it's been a really interesting journey to be on with them, coaching them through that experience as they're working with federal authorities and and global, you know, sort of uh, regulatory bodies to try and figure out you know, the source of the intrusion and how they can recover it, and so on and so on. Um, and uh, and then you play that out to the societal level around how privacy can be exploited and how data can be, you know, sort of used in a way which is not what we signed up for. Um, and then we look at it, you know, from the perspective of a city or a global system. I mean, there's a lot in there. But just also briefly to reflect back on, you know, technology as an advantage and, and a need to move towards it and to invest in it, but to do so in the right way. Yeah, you know, I I look at no further than Adelaide, you know, which is a distance from where you and I sit, but yeah, Adelaide within my team stands out. You know, we have one of our team who sits in Adelaide CBD. The rest of us are spread around the rest of Australia and the US. And the sort of stability and the speed at which that person in Adelaide can work and manage content and you know the, the stability of their bandwidth for Zoom calls, which we've obviously been doing a lot of of late, um, you know, is second to none because Adelaide made a strategic investment you know, as a city to be a hub, an, you know, an innovation center, and so on and so on. And then as a state, you know, at a state governmental level to make that center renewable and sustainable, you know, and they have their solar farms and their Tesla batteries and so on and so on. So it is interesting to see the pace at which that's moving and the ACT are kind of heading there, but there's a lot more work that needs to be done. And that's, that's probably another five conversations in of itself. <laughs> well, that's right. It's, it's very interesting. And in, in South Australia is an interesting um, case study, but you know, the question of foresight, what should we be looking to with regards to this? And, oh, look, you know, from what you just said, there's all sorts of very interesting um, topics, but um, you know, the question of trust, I think, is one I, I would like to... Yeah, let's go there. Pull let's, out. Let's, and, let's spend some time on trust. You know, I mentioned the World Economic Forum. I remember um, watching a, a chat between Klaus Schwab and... Um, Mark Benioff, uh, Klaus Schwab being the founder of the World Economic Forum and the author of the Fourth Industrial Revolution and, and Mark Benioff being the founder and um, chairman or was he CEO of um, Salesforce. I hope I got that right. Was he the founder? 
He was definitely involved with Salesforce. <laughs> two of these, two of those things. He had Salesforce, put it that way. I think he's the CEO and chairman, perhaps. Um, but it was a fascinating conversation because I, I, it was about the fourth industrial revolution and how we should take our organisations forward. And I walked away from from watching it with a sense that every second word in that conversation was trust. They said it dozens of times. And you know, the city of Sydney for me is a very interesting case study. It's it's I think it is doing very very well around sustainability, very very well in terms of engaging its community, and is putting a lot of care into how it deals with digitalization. And it was pointed out to me that the city has has 12 key indicators as, a, as an organisation, and one of them is trust, and they go out to the community, including the business community, and measure that. And it's increased year on year on year on year on year. And trust really is the oil that lubricates the, the digital world, or the digitalized world, both things, actually. <laughs> Um, and what we are what we are seeing is is other examples where trust has not existed around the use of digital technologies, and they've fallen over. So, in the last couple of weeks, we saw um, what a project in Toronto, which was called Sidewalk Labs, and that was branded by side. Sorry, it was called Sidewalk Toronto. It was branded by Sidewalk Labs. Uh, which is the urban analytics business of Alphabet sits alongside Google being the online sort of analytics business. They're sort of brother and sister businesses. One's a lot bigger um, than the other, but they both appreciate the value of data. And Sidewalk Labs had got into this position of kind of being in the box seat to develop a piece of the Toronto Portlands and it was going to be a highly sophisticated project technology-wise. It was going to offer unparalleled environmental benefits, a whole load of social benefits. But there was a huge backlash from the community who just asked a ton of questions. So what happens to our data? How are we monitored? You know, does this data go offshore out of Canada? Does it go, could it eventually end up with Google, what's the role of the city of Toronto in this, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it really highlighted a, a schism between what is possible with technology and where the community is, is really at. And there wasn't trust to, to negotiate that and the project stalled and was shrunk. And in the last couple of weeks, Sidewalk Labs pulled out. Mm -hmm. And perhaps we've seen a similar thing with um, the COVID safe app in, in Australia. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, yeah and exactly. yep. so many of us know that we need it. Um, we don't know necessarily yet whether it's effective, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence around that. That's a question. But in theory, the ability to, to, to track, I think most of us would appreciate as a cool core plank of our ability to manage the virus in the community up to the point at which we can get a vaccination in place. Um, but not a lot of people have downloaded it. It's sort of got to around 5 million downloads or not. I don't know whether people have downloaded it and are using it. 
Um, and it's sort of stalled in, in numbers. And there's a, I, I did one survey in it with a group of people and there was a lot of distrust around the government with regards to um, their data and privacy. And there is a perversion which many of us acknowledged that, hey, we, we, this is a relatively safe um, platform that they're proposing compared to many others that we, we flippantly engage in day to day. But there, wa there wasn't trust in our institution. So here we are in this tragic situation, really, where we supposedly really need this for the good of our society and the good of our economy, but we're not adopting it broadly because of, of the lack of trust. And I, I think, you know, it's, it really is a, is a totem for how we deal with digitalization going forward, how we, you know, it's a key area for foresight because it takes time to build trust. And so, yeah, some people say you can't actually build it, you earn it. <laughs> so it's kind of a stupid phrase. And... Um, it's something that we really need to start um, thinking about right now through applying a responsibility and ethical sort of lens to digitalization. And the, the organization, I'll let you just add, the organizations, the cities, the governments that really pay attention to that, I believe will out-compete in, in, in time. You know, we, we're seeing... Um, you know, Facebook really struggle with this. So many people say that Zuckerberg just keeps on apologising, 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 but yet they don't get a sense that intrinsically the, the change is occurring. But we are also seeing amongst big tech a, a real proliferation of initiatives around privacy. Some of it um, um, provoked, no doubt, by GDPR and, and their ability to engage in, in European markets but a lot of it's probably out of fear of antitrust as well and just a recognition that, hey, we urgently need to demonstrate that we are good system, um, corporate citizens and we're, we're trustworthy because they know the, the, the power of, and the value of the data and the community is only just beginning to awaken to that and, and that will normalise over time. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's so much in there. I mean, I, I recall... I'm going to say probably now two years ago, you know, listening to um, a podcast which was a you know business podcast, uh, but it was it was specifically you know talking about scalable tech and the advantages at a societal level, and they were applauding you know, the the um, Cyborg Labs as a, as a, an, an example of you know what great looks got, looks like, and this is at the forefront, and this is at the cutting edge, and this is essentially what everybody should be doing, and it's so interesting what the outcome of of that experiment if we call it that has been but there were there were there were a couple of things the couple of bells that kept chiming uh whilst you were you were you were sort of discussing the whole you know so sort of significance of trust and, and 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 how it's conveyed digitally and and i'll just outline a couple of topics and then and then we can sort of decide uh you know so whether we want to explore any of them or or, or which one if, if if so we will start with i think absolutely there's a there's an institutional trust crisis i mean globally yeah, you look at whether it's a federal or, or, or a non-federal government system, but you know, trust in governments globally is at a really a very, very low ebb. I don't know if it's at a record low, but it's at a low. Also, 
educational institutions, you know, the criticism of schools and universities, you know, to sort of to prepare citizens for the future and, and to sort of do what, you know, sort of parents and communities want done, you know, sort of in, in terms of, uh, you know, sort of developing their children. That also, I think, is, is, is really, you know, sort of going through not quite a crisis, but a real challenge time at the moment. And then what seems to be interesting is, you know, where there's a you know, sort of a, an ebb, obviously you get a flow, you know, that vacuum needs to be filled. So what we're seeing is an increase in trust in brands, which are, of course, primarily corporates, um, or this sort of, you know, very uh, spurious term influencers. You know, if you were to go, <laughs> you go and do a survey. Hard you know, not to laugh when you think Oh, of you have to, right? Like, so what, what exactly is an influencer and what do they know and who's fact-checking that selfie? Anyway, um, but it's it's curious, isn't it, that at a societal level, that's where the trust vacuum, or that's where the trust is is flow is going, and that's where the trust vacuum is being filled. But I think you look at examples such as you know, the the bushfires, um, you know, which are very prominent, you know, uh, in my mind, still here months on, having you know sort of been so closely involved with them on the south coast. You know, we saw corporates and influences moving faster, messaging better, more compellingly than. You know, certainly, I would contend the federal government here, and 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 quite, you know, sort of arguably the the state government as well, with the exception of the outstanding, you know, sort of um, institute of the or institution of the, the the Royal Fire Service and the leadership there, doing the by far and away the best job of anyone. Um, but there was a lot of positive resonance around what brands were doing. Look at this. You know, corporate that you know that's donating this or is, is doing this or or whatever. Look at this influencer, you know, a comedian who's going to raise sixty million bucks or whatever it was. Uh, let's not get into the what that money is going to end up being spent on. Um, but <laughs> but these are exactly where these issues play out, right? Here's a nice, you know, sort of very well intended, you know, sort of click through on your Instagram feed that's asking you to orientate your attention, let alone ask for your money to go towards a cause that you agree with, but it's a person or a company, not a government asking for your attention and your money. And you're more inclined because you trust them more than you do the other side. So Simon, if I, if I just um, interject with a, with a, with a question at a high level, but so how, how do, do, do the organizational leaders go about, you know, sort of engaging with these issues? Yeah, look, there's, um, yeah, that's, that's a great opener as a, as a, as a question. Um, <laughs> And there is quite a smorgasbord of, of, of pathways there. I guess one is to start thinking about their relationship with technology. And I mentioned the structural change that, that was occurring. Um, I referenced the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is a, a frame that a lot of um, business leaders like to, to use. Yeah, absolutely. It puts it into a into a useful um, a useful framework. But it is a bit like trying to come to terms with, with climate change, you know, which is a deep systemic change uh, happening close to us but very, very remotely with a, a transparent, odourless gas, et cetera, or a number of gases. And is is very very um, nuanced, and it really does begin to um, reference belief systems, which which certainly climate change has in our society. You can have the facts 
and and people due to their belief systems may or may not engage with those facts. You know, technology can be very, very similar. Um, the catch with technology is we are deeply immersed in it. And so it is kind of the the water in which we are, are swimming. Um, you know, sometimes we might reflect on, you know, where technology was 10 years ago, um, you know, prior to even having smartphones, or I was joking the other day about bander machines with, with, um, with people, or somebody tried to, um, to negotiate something with a, an, an energy utility and they said, your letter needs to be handwritten. Can you imagine handwriting a letter? Often we sort of reflect back to those points, but we don't, we're otherwise consumed with it and we are constantly sort of updating our, our smart technology around us and it evolves. We don't really see the trajectory that we are on or where it's going. One concern about technology that is raised a lot by leading thinkers around it is that there is a way of thinking which is a, a technologist filter on the world. Yeah. And it says that we can solve any problem with technology. It says that any, any problem can be codified, it can be put into an algorithm. And indeed a lot can and... and you know, huge gains can be made through pursuing that, but that is deeply problematic. And we know that human beings are, uh, we're not machines. A lot of people talk, you know, say, oh, well, the human brain is just a machine. Well, many people would argue otherwise. The way in which society works is highly, highly complex. And working with those condition, with that condition is highly, highly necessary to navigate deep societal problems. And so we really need to be able to take a step back from technology and just be able to, you know, like any, any effective business leader or governance leader, is able to take the helicopter view. He or she can step out of the business, out of the, the, the body that they're governing and see it for what it is. We need to do the same with, with, with technology. And at a societal at a, and even a species level, we need to ensure that technology is a tool in our hands and we're not falling into the trap of being slaves to the technology. And when you see those same people photographing their breakfast for social media, that's kind of a, that's a bit of a canary in the mind, I, th mind, I think, or possibly in the mind as well as the mind. Um, it is very, very easy to just be swept along with, with technology. And indeed, there is so much power and so much wealth with technology companies we need to, um, and they can apply that sort of technologist lens on the world. Um, we need to carefully navigate that. You know, they, they can be very, very important institutions in our economy and our society going forward, but we need to, um, I think, develop a much 
more intimate relationship between society and, and, and those institutions. And we can almost step back and, and, you know, I have heard it said that part of the structural step change that we're going through right now is a renegotiation of the social contract. Mm. You know, the, the social con- the tripartite contract between um, the public, between the, the private sector, and, and b- between government. Yeah. Around around the stuff, and you know, we've spoken a bit about privacy. It's only one of many issues, um, but th- but issues like privacy, you know, that is a human right. And in, in a country like Australia, I know you have you have listeners all over the world, but. In a lot of um, a lot of societies, it is a human right that we take for granted. But we've reached a point where we're questioning that, and, and data rights. We're, we're really beginning to negotiate what they really mean. And we know that some people go to a shopping centre now, and they get the message on the smart phone saying, "Welcome to such and such a centre. Here's some here's some offers and you know, shops to visit." And we know that. Facial detection and facial recognition is being used in in such places. We're butting up against this stuff again and again. And you know the, the COVID apps are another sort of um, bellwether for this thing. So you know we really need to think very carefully as as leaders of um, governmental institutions and of business and of businesses around. How we negotiate that? Um, it needs to be done with with trust and, and sort of back to uh, the beginning of this this this, this piece of you like. Um, it really does start by leaders and indeed organisations um, questioning their relationship to to technology and and really putting technology into its into its place. So the, the the question that I'd like to follow uh, follow with here is, do you see this as being, you know, sort of a a pivotal sort of role for leaders at the highest levels? You know, the the appointed you know governmental officials, you know, the the C suite, the the board of directors, um, and it's up to them to you know hopefully with you know sort of organisations you know like those that you work with you know, to sort of divine the right way and then everybody, you know, sort of then follows suit? Or is it more, you know, sort of comprehensive and it, 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 is it more to do with leadership at sort of any level, basically sort of being conscious of your use and your your own clamouring for development of technological resources and processes, et cetera, and be mindful essentially of what you're asking for, but then also funnel the messages upwards as well because, you know, the, the the decisions are only as good as the data, as the phrase goes. Yeah, look, it's, it's absolutely bottom up, top down. It, it is, and it's the only way to do it if you really want to harness the power of an organisation. You need to have the diversity of an organisation, and, and including you know experience types um, and and influence types within within organisations, and also the the collective sensitivity of the of, of the organisation. So, much of my work before really going down the sustainable digitalisation space was around sustainability in organisations, as I alluded to, you know, at the beginning of our chat. And 
that for me was heavily about weaving many, many threads together. It, it was finding the big touch points for a board. It was, it was finding the, the points of, of risk. It was finding the points of opportunity. It was engaging relevant business lines. And throughout it all, it was creating a, a, a groundswell in the workforce because that sort of, in, in many ways, collected the most signals, be it personal signals. And we're, we're you know, I've mentioned big tech a, a lot. I, I probably didn't mean to, but you know, we are seeing in, in you know companies like Google real um, movement, internal movements arising where um, the workforce is saying, hey, here's some social issues of, of concern. Let's, let's shape from within. Um, but also the, you know, the, the workforce is mo often most deeply tuned into the stakeholders. They, they hold all of the relationships and they would have the most immediate re readings on, on where stakeholders are at. You know, I mentioned shopping centres. It, it, it could be the centre management team who <laughs> are um, you know, administering this technology and are receiving some feedback. Um, maybe they're using surveillance uh, te technology and overhearing what people are actually saying as they, they receive the, those alerts on their phones, perhaps. Um, but it, it then becomes the opportunity to... Um, have your workforce lead much more sophisticated conversations with those stakeholders and begin to unpack what is going on and allow um, you know, much more, much greater flow of insight into the organisation. So look, my, my very strong view is it really has to be, be across the board. But that said, you do often need... Um, you need incubated areas of innovation. You do allow need to allow spaces for ideas to develop deeply often, and you do need to have you know the champions in that system to to you know, carry it all forward and coordinate. Yeah, very much so. No, and I think I mean that very much aligns with a lot of the work that we do, you know, around culture. And it's one thing you know to have a you know, a, a fantastic, you know, new CEO come in and say, this is what, you know, I believe in and this is why I'm here. And, you know, I, I, I very much want us to live by the values of the organization and therefore let's go create a great culture. But ultimately, if that's not embraced and, and is not, you know, sort of um, driven from the bottom back up, then, yeah, essentially you, you don't ever get the meeting in the middle and, and nothing really happens. I think one question I'd like to ask now um, is if, if we've really piqued someone's curiosity about this incredibly complex realm, are, are there any, you know, sort of shining lights for you? You know, any, you know, let's start as big as countries or cities or organizations that you feel are really nailing this and that would be a good starting point if somebody wanted to go and look at essentially best practice and then start to unpack, well, how do we, you know, start to, you know, sort of transition in that direction? When you mentioned the city of Sydney already, you know, I'm sure that they would have public domain stuff that, that one could go and look up. But are there any others that stand out to you? Yeah, the city of Sydney example is more of an intrinsic one. It's, I don't know whether you'd find published case studies on this. Uh, I've just um, seen them connecting many of the dots around these issues. Sure. And 
putting things like trust with stakeholders as, as a as a primary indicator is, is a is a great thing to do. What you know, as I, as I mentioned, a real movement around this stuff is occurring around the world, and so we're seeing think tanks and organisations and government-led initiatives and private sector-led initiatives pop up, pop up all over the place. Um, you know, there's one group of initiatives which is very prevalent, which is um, around ethics and AI um, as, a sort of a, as, a, as a microcosm. And so I read lately that there are about 70 different sets of principles for ethics and AI um, that have been developed. Uh, there's a lot of work around responsibility, ethics, in technology. Uh, the Ethics Centre put out a, a, a beautiful publication uh, two years ago now. I lose, I lose track. I think it was two years ago now, 2018 it, was, it came out, um, on, on good technology and, and principles for that. I, I think that's a beautiful reference. There's uh, an excellent group that, a centre that has been launched under the Australia Institute called the Centre for Responsible Technology, and they're progressively le leading some really rich discourse around this. Um, also in Australia, the Human Rights Commission is leading a very important initiative around the relationship between human rights and technology, and that is led by Ed Santo, the Human Rights Commissioner. He, he's taken that under his wing personally. Um, we've also seen a lot of universities create um, units around this, this sort of topic as well, and I think you'll probably be able to pick up any, um, any university and, and, and find something. I'm also leading an initiative called the Sustainable Digitalization Project, or the SDP, which is an increasingly large collaboration uh, stemming out of the property sector, but engaging other sectors such as investment, such as construction, infrastructure, and also into cities, starting with um, groups like the, the City of Sydney. Um, which is looking at sustainable digitalization for real estate and cities. Ultimately, it's, it's all about it's all about cities, and we are working out how to better define this this agenda for different stakeholder groups. We're working on a set of principles right now. There's there's five core principles that are defining sustainable digitalization and indeed are probably very useful outside of the sort of built environment space. There's also an initiative into defining what good looks like for cities, so what goals cities should be shooting for with regards to um, responsible, ethical, sustainable outcomes with digitalization. There's one around properties and, and how we assess the level of responsibility with the use of um, technologies and properties, which are, as I mentioned earlier on, they're, they're accelerating. We're deploying a lot of technology in, in, in properties and they're no longer a dumb pile of sort of uh, steel, glass and concrete. Uh, they are becoming um, 
pieces of technology in their own right, and indeed many of them now have digital twins. They both exist in the real world and in the, in the virtual world. So how do we ensure that vendors are um, doing the right thing when they offer the, the, the technology through to a tenant being able to compare different properties? We're working on that. And also investment in, in real assets, real estate and infrastructure, uh, what indicators should investors be be working with? And so we've started engaging investors to understand where their thinking is currently at. And we know that different investors are dealing with different digitalization-driven ESG issues. And we will create a set of indicators which they can then sort of push down their supply chain so that they are, um, you know, in particular, dealing with, with investment risks associated with this. And um, and grabbing opportunities uh, along the way. And look, I mean, having spent a little bit of time on the SDP site, you know, in preparation for today's conversation, I would certainly be steering people there. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of information there, you know, including the the crossing the threshold. Um, you know, sort of white paper, if we can call it that, um, that I think would be, it is very detailed for sure, but I think that would be a good starting point, you know, for anybody that's, you know, listened to this and thinks, great, you know, where can I find out more or where can I go next? And I'm presuming that, you know, you'd be open to people, you know, sort of reaching out to you or expressing an interest, um, you know, certainly if they're I happen to be running a major city or, you know, maybe major global conglomerate, you'd be open to hearing from them. Oh, we're, we're pleased to hear from anybody to, to engage in the uh, conversation. If you're running a city, fantastic. If you're, um, if you're involved in the property sector or infrastructure, um, yeah, so you, you may well be involved in the, in the built environment or you know, we've got um, technology leaders from the health sector, for example, um, getting involved. So you know, please reach out and we're happy to... Um, yeah, happy to help you explore your exploration of, of, of this agenda. Perfect. Well, look, I'll have Simon's contact details in the show notes. So you just scroll down a little bit on whatever device you are, hopefully very sustainably holding as you listen to this and uh, and you can reach out to Simon directly there. Uh, Simon, that's been a fascinating uh, and I, I think you know, very informative exploration of an incredibly uh, in, interesting and complicated and fast evolving topic. So thank you very much for your time. It's, it's certainly for me, but I hope for everybody listening, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you very much, Tim. It's been fun. So as I said at the start, this really is just the introduction to what is clearly a complex, complicated and rapidly evolving topic. And Simon and I have actually already had a conversation about him coming back onto the show in one of the special episodes that we're going to run in between seasons through December and January so that he can give us an update on how that main initiative that he's launching has rolled out and what they're focusing on at that time. So you can keep updated with Simon and his work. So look, the main standout areas and topics for me were that humankind is, as Simon says, essentially crossing a threshold right now. Maybe we've already have so, done so, Maybe we're already into it, but if not, we're right there now and we're heading into a digitized future. And a lot of people, you know, 
Yuval Noah Harari being the most prominent one to me, you know, are looking at this as a step change in evolution because of the way that we're interacting with each other and the way that our behaviors are changing and adapting because of this digitization process. And exactly as Simon says, there are tremendous benefits on so many levels and in so many ways from this stage of evolutionary growth, but there's also a lot of challenges and real risks that we need to be aware of and take the appropriate measures to guard against. And I think when we come to look at leadership, you know, really that was the conversation about trust and technology and this, you know, is it a, is it a balancing act? Is it a juxtaposition between the two? And really Simon's open invitation as a leader more than anything else right now, just really question the relationship that you and your organization have with technology and be acutely aware of how that will impact on the trust that you have with your teams, with your customers, with your communities, with all of your stakeholders and how radically the evolution of technology could impact on that trust. I hope that all of this, as always, has been of interest to you. Thank you for your time and attention and all of the time that you spend with us here on Better World Leaders. We look forward to seeing you again very soon. As always, great thanks and appreciation to the team who contributed to bringing Better World Leaders to you to Brendan Ward for production of all audio recordings and composition and performance of original music throughout each episode, to Cooper and the team at Radio Hub Studios for technical support and creative guidance during the episodes that are recorded face-to-face, to Knock Knock Studios for website design, hosting and advice, and to Sarasa Design for logo and site graphics. You'll find audio and video recordings of this episode, as well as links to any specific recommendations or related resources that were mentioned today in the podcast area of 4iLeadership.com backslash insights. This is the Better World Leaders podcast, brought to you by 4i Leadership. to world.